Good morning, worshipers. I'm going to invite you, if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're a regular here, you know for most of the last year we've been in John's Gospel. 1 Timothy's also in the New Testament, about halfway between John and the end of your Bible. Now, before the, the service started, I, I was uh, talking to Abner just for a moment, and I thanked him for being on the worship team, and, and he said, to Jesus be all the praise and honor and glory. And, and, and don't you just sense that in these worship leaders, and we ought to be thankful for how they're using their gift. Well, uh, you members, those of you who are official members of the church family, a couple weeks back, you should have received a letter And in that letter, we asked for something from you, and that was that you would take the time to submit nominations for leadership positions within our congregation. Uh, Forms, nomination forms that are due back one week from today. And as you can see, as you look up at the big screen, at least, and I hope we can in a moment, we're going to list the names of our elders and deacons and deaconesses. Maybe that'll happen a little bit later. Uh, But when I look at each of these names, I find myself being so grateful to the Lord that I get to be a part of a church family like this church family. Our leaders each serve three-year terms, and those terms are are on a rotating basis. And um, everybody whose term expires is eligible to get renominated. And and in that letter that we sent you, we included a list of the specific requirements that the Bible gives for those who would serve in each one of these positions. And and that makes sense, at least it ought to make sense, because the Bible makes clear that the church belongs not to its members or even to a denomination. No, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church is his idea. The church has as its head Jesus, we are his body. And, and I loved how we were singing about that today and about how our brother Mark, as he led us in prayer, about this immense responsibility and opportunity we have to tell other people what Jesus Christ has done. You know, 2,000 years ago, he came to earth on a divine rescue mission, a mission that resulted in him going to the cross and receiving in himself the penalty we each deserve on account of our own sin. Jesus lived a life of complete righteousness, and then he laid down his life. He died, he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Now he's ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he's waiting for that day, the day we just sang about, that he will come as a groom for his bride, the church. And I've been reading in my Bible reading plan, both through the Old Testament, the New Testament every day. And um, I am struck, church, by some of the descriptions that are given in the Word of God concerning that day. You know, for us who know Christ, who've been reconciled to God the Father through His Son's precious blood, it's going to be a glorious day. But it's going to be a dreadful day for those who don't yet know the Savior. They are going to be personally on the receiving end of God's just and holy wrath. And and yet we know from Scripture, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants us all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And and he's entrusted the responsibility of sharing this good news to us, to the church. That's why 
it's so important to follow his plan, that his purposes for us and our church are fulfilled in a way that's both for our good and ultimately his glory. And so the Bible, besides listing requirements for our elders and our deacons and our deaconesses, also gives some very specific instructions and requirements for those who serve the church as pastors. And, and that's a big part of why we're here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This little book is, is part of what have come to be known as the pastoral epistles. They contain instructions given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pastors who are entrusted with the responsibility of shepherding the church. But these instructions, these truths aren't for pastors alone. They are meant to be taught to the entire church family. And and part of the reason why is so you can look at the lives of your pastors against the backdrop of God's unchanging word. And that's what we're going to do today. So as is our custom, and if you are able, I invite you to stand with me as I read 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing's to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as is our custom, we've included an outline for the morning's message in your bulletin. You can follow along if that's helpful. And as you'll see, we're going to look at four characteristics of growing and godly pastors, characteristics that 
I believe, are also vitally important to every follower of Jesus Christ who's in a position to exercise leadership. And that includes practically every one of us, whether it's at home, at school, at work, or in the church. And again, we're taking time to do this because Jesus Christ's plan for his church has always included godly leaders. And so let's pray to that end. Father, I I thank you for the opportunity to stand before my brothers and sisters and and walk through the, the last part of this chapter. Lord, I pray that you would enable me to to communicate clearly and that our minds this morning would be able to focus on what it is that you want us to hear and that our hearts would be responsive to what your spirit is trying to impress upon each one of us, that we truly, as a church family, not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Amen. Okay, four characteristics, and we're going to start in verse number 12, okay? This passage speaks, first of all, the importance of a pastor or church leader's character, their character. Writing here to Timothy, he's a young pastor who's been entrusted with the responsibility of leading his church. The Apostle Paul writes, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. If you know about Timothy's story, you know one thing this man was lacking was that was self-confidence. And uh, I'm kind of feeling that way this morning, and that can actually be a good thing. If we're understanding and realizing that, that God sometimes puts us in a little bit over our head, Uh, So we are readily able to admit that we're not going to be able to accomplish anything of eternal worth apart from fully relying on him. Timothy was lacking self-confidence, and that's part of why Paul writes him in this letter. And he writes again, first of all, in this section about character. And, and there might be some here this morning who are thinking, hey, I don't know if my name is ever going to be up on that list of elders and deacons and deaconesses. And, and probably even more you're thinking, I'm never going to be called to be a pastor of a church. So I don't know if what you're saying right now even applies to me. And I'm just going to say, it does. Please don't check out on me. Because this part about Christ-honoring character is important to every one of us who names Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I especially want those of you who are, who are dads to be paying attention. For Jesus has given each of you the opportunity, really the, the responsibility of being the spiritual leader of your family. And the humbling thing is, to a certain extent, how your kids relate to God the Father in the future is going to be shaped right now by how you relate to them as their earthly father. That shouldn't be that big a surprise for any of us this morning, but our character speaks volumes to those who are watching, especially, again, for parents to your children. And I say that because our values are caught as much as they're taught. And and so I have a question for you. When your children, when your grandchildren, when your nieces and nephews, and whoever else it is that might be watching you, when they look at you, 
What do they see? What do they learn about your relationship with Jesus Christ? A friend, uh, he once told me he grew up in a home where he would often hear his father say, do as I say, not as I do. As you can imagine, that bit of advice wasn't all that helpful to my friend. Verse 12 again says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. Um, we're not going to go back there this morning. Perhaps some future time uh, we'll, we'll look at it more in depth. But in chapter 3 of the same letter, there are lists of qualifications qualifications that were included in that letter we sent you about our elders, deacons, and deaconesses. And the first few verses of that chapter, the Bible gives a list of 20 qualifications for those who would serve as elders, okay? 20 different requirements. And it's really interesting to note that all but one of those requirements are related not to a man's skill, but to his character. And that's because a leader's life is is really truly their most powerful message. Uh, We're going to be here in verse 12 just for a few more minutes. I, I, I could spend an entire Sunday on this one verse, but I want you to notice what's listed as of first importance. When it when it comes for us setting an example for fellow believers, what's first on the list? It's our speech. Okay? the words that come out of your mouth. And and that's because these words bear witness, not only to what you believe, but to who you really are. Where stands it written, right? Uh, Jesus himself said, Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. I'm looking forward to the supper tonight. And uh, Chris was, was busy uh, yesterday <clears throat> in the kitchen. And uh, we made, uh, well, she made, I can't take credit. She made a lot of turkey and uh, um, a couple pies. And uh, I know uh, one of the other things that she spent a little bit of time working on or will finish today is a gravy. It's done, okay? I want you to imagine that this pot right here is, is full of gravy, okay? And uh, I, I'm, I'm busy lugging it around and uh, struggling with it a little bit, and then I, I come to, to Michael's size 10 shoes or whatever they might be, 12, and I, I trip, okay? What's going to come out of my pot of gravy when I stumble? Gravy. And the same is true for our words, what comes out of our mouths reflects what's inside of us. So when we're, we're bumped into, when we stumble, when we get disappointed, we're going we're gonna to say some words. And those words that come out of our mouth, Jesus himself says, bear witness to the condition of our heart. Character, of course, is also displayed in your conduct, okay? Some of your translations say it this way, life, okay? I just talked about the words coming out of your mouth, but now I want you to imagine if we turned off the sound, okay? 
And, and we didn't hear anything that was coming out of your mouth. We were just watching you. And, and we, we spent some time observing how you spend your time and your energy and your money. We'd also learn as we watched what and who is most important to you. And again, dads as a family shepherd, I want you to think about your kids as they watch you, as they're observing how you spend your time, your money, the places you go. What would they say you are most passionate about? And by the way, what should you do if these questions I'm asking you, you hear them and you say, ah, I, I don't like my answer. What should you do? Well, the Bible says the one thing you should do is repent, right? God allows U-turns, right? And if we're going in the wrong direction, what does God want us to do? He wants us to turn around and get going the right way right away. Next in verse 12, says, You and I are set an example in our love, okay? Our love. <laughs> that's, that's a big topic, and I'm wondering how many of us really have a handle on this one. You know, Jesus says, and we know by experience, it's pretty easy to love people who love you. But in his word, Jesus calls us to something more. Jesus calls you and I to love those this world says just aren't all that lovable, including the people who have disappointed you, people who have let you down in any sort of way. And if you're not sure about all that, uh, you will be, I hope, when you're reminded that Jesus says you and I are even supposed to love our enemies, right? And friends, that's simply not possible without the heart-transforming power of Jesus Christ within us. So do you want your life to bear witness to the greatness of Jesus? Do you? Do you want your life to make God's grace and mercy evident to your friends and family and co-workers? I got a little bit of good news for you this morning. It's not about trying harder. It's about abiding in Jesus. It's about allowing God's Son not only to live in you, but to love others through you. This last week or so, I've been reading a book by Jerry Wiles. And, and Jerry says, if you don't like what you see when you examine your life, then go back to Jesus. Turn back to the Lord and trust his promise to you. A promise that's in our, our memory verse from this week, John chapter 7, 37 and 38. And can you read this aloud with me, church? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow. You consider what Jesus says in that verse, beloved. If nothing is flowing from you or... Or if you don't like what's coming out of the overflow of your heart, what does the Bible say? The Bible says drink more of Jesus. It, the Bible says take a long look at the cross and what it means to your life and to your everlasting future. Now, Jesus calls us every day to renew our relationship with him. Jesus wants all of you. And Jesus wants you to let his love flow from your life into the lives of others. It's a little bit about character. 
Christians sometimes confuse charisma with character, but they're not the same thing. Paul again tells Timothy, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And now to verse 13, which speaks of the importance of a pastor's competence. Until I come, Paul writes, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. You know, a couple minutes ago I mentioned that 19 of the 20 qualifications that are given at the beginning of chapter 3 for elders are all character-related. The only one that isn't relates to this qualification or expectation, and that is that he is able to teach. And that's because a big part of a pastor's responsibilities includes helping people hear and understand and obey the word of God. But it doesn't end there. In fact, the rest of this letter and parts of chapter 4 makes clear that a pastor also needs to be able to spot false teaching, heretical teaching, and then put a stop to it. And in order to fulfill this part of his role in the church, a pastor has to be competent. A pastor has to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And and so Paul, again, instructs this young pastor, devote yourself to this. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. This was doubly important back in um, Timothy's day because it was very rare for anyone in the church to own their own Bible. It just was not common. Printing press wouldn't be invented until centuries and centuries later. So if, if Timothy, as a pastor, wasn't standing before his church reading the Bible to his congregation, they weren't going to hear it read. <laughs> and, and the sad thing is, that's still true in many churches. In many churches, the people who attend that church will freely admit, the only time I read my Bible is on Sunday morning. But praise God, that's not the way it is here, or at least I hope not. You know, you look at the the front of your bulletin. We say if if you're part about, if you're interested in being a part of this church, you need to know what we stand for. What is our intention? Well, how do we say it? Read that with me. To be molded by God's word and motivated by God's glory as we make disciples throughout God's world. So we're saying we want to know the word of God and and not just know more facts and information, but allow that truth to to mold us, to shape us. So more and more we resemble our Jesus. And and, and if you're on board with this intention, how about an amen? Amen. Now, in addition to publicly reading the Bible, Paul says some other things here to Timothy. He says it's important to exhort the members of his church family. Exhort. Well, what does that mean to exhort? Uh, I have an amplified version of the Bible, and they always expand these these definitions a little bit. And 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 here, this word exhort includes preaching and personal appeals. Preaching, what takes place in here on Sunday morning, and personal appeals. And I love how Pastor Jeremy does that from week to week for us. 
He's faithfully fulfilling the role that has been entrusted to him as our shepherd. And, and church, a lot of you know it's not just on Sunday mornings, but as our pastor meets with members of our church family throughout the week, he, he is gently but unapologetically challenging us not just to believe God's word, but to love it and to obey it. Okay? Competence. Now, being a pastor is a huge job. I've heard it said, if a man can do anything else, he probably should. It definitely isn't something a man simply chooses to do. Now, third in the outline, this passage speaks also of the importance of a pastor's calling. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul says this young pastor, do not neglect your gift. Now, how many of you have ever taken one of those uh, personal inventories where you answer about 312 questions and after you answer those questions, they purport to tell you what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Yeah, a few of us have had to do it. And, and you know, um, they can be very, very helpful, but I've also seen at times uh, they're not so helpful because they get us preoccupied with working on our weaknesses, shoring up those parts that we don't <laughs> do as well naturally. And in the process, we neglect our strengths. And, and in verse 14, I wonder if that's partly true for Timothy. I wonder if Paul's actually saying to him, I want you to quit worrying about the gifts you don't have, what other people have received. <laughs> quit looking at that and use the one gift that you have been blessed with. And uh, I sense some of you here this morning need to be reminded of that same truth. Instead of comparing yourself to others, what they do or are able to do, how they are gifted. Just be faithful with what Jesus has given to you. You know, when you turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross, the Bible says you not only receive forgiveness of all your sins and the free gift of eternal life, but the Holy Spirit marks you with a seal and takes up residence right here in your heart. And the scripture indicates that the same spirit gives every blood-bought, born-again follower of Jesus a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it like this, To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To each, okay? That means every man and woman and young person who is in the body of Christ, who's been adopted into God's family, has been given by the spirit at least one gift to bless the church is for the common good. These gifts are named in, in some of the epistles. We're not going to take a, a look at a description of each of these gifts, but we're going to flash them up on the big screen here. Uh, Romans 12, you see there's seven spiritual gifts named there. Um, fast forward to 1 Corinthians 12. 8 through 18, and two other gifts are named in Ephesians chapter 4, evangelist and pastor. So there are at least 20 spiritual gifts named in Scripture. 
Many Bible teachers are, are convinced you receive your spiritual gift at the moment of your conversion, while others believe that they either are or could be given at a later time in your walk with Christ. And this verse we're looking at here seems to support that view. For regarding Timothy's gift, Paul says, second half of verse 14, it was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Okay, So he had already been a believer for some period of time, but when the council of elders laid their hands on him, he received this gift. And and that's kind of encouraging too. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard the saying, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. I've seen that in my own life. I've told many of the story how as I was a young man in my late 20s and, and I was wrestling a little bit if God is actually calling me into ministry. And, and I spent a lot of time wondering about that. And, and my pastor, I was so blessed to have a pastor sit down with me and, and talk with me and meet with me on a monthly basis for, for several months that I think stretched into uh, at least uh, a year or two. And, and I remember him uh, sitting across the table from me giving this simple word of advice. He said, if in, instead of spending so much time wondering about what if and when, bloom where you're planted. Use the opportunity God is going to give you this day, this week, to love other people in Jesus' name, to to be available to whatever it is that God might bring across the threshold of your life. And as I faithfully did that, I I welcomed the opportunity to serve the Lord in all sorts of ways, both within my church family and outside the church. Uh, The believers in my congregation eventually did for me what these elders did for Timothy. They they confirmed my calling and they affirmed my gifting. And though it's, it's usually obvious what the spiritual gifting is for a pastor, it's sometimes not so clear to the others among us. And I'm not going to ask you to answer this question out loud, but I am going to ask you, if, if we were to ask you to write on a piece of paper what your spiritual gift is, would you have something to write? Right? You don't have to answer that question. But if you say no or I'm not sure, I got another question. If that's the case, would you be willing today to ask Jesus to show you how he has gifted you and how he wants to use you and this spiritual gift that he's given you to be a blessing to this church? You know, he might answer that prayer in an unexpected manner or confirm what he's already impressed upon your heart. You know, if you're a gifted worship leader, what should you do? Lead worship, right? If God's given you a special ability to relate to to kids, to teach children, doesn't it work well? Doesn't it seem to make a lot of sense to be involved in children's ministry? Um, If you're you're a behind-the-scenes kind of woman or man, and you don't want to be up front, all that visible, I want to tell you, you need to understand that Jesus Christ has most certainly gifted you 
He's gifted every one of us. And, and instead of, of, of looking at your gift and then comparing it to those around you, be willing to bloom where you're planted. That can start today, okay? Well, we're in the home stretch. <laughs> We've seen in this passage three things already. The importance of a pastor and leader's character. Second, his confidence. Third, his calling. One more, see in the outline. Verses 15 and 16. This passage speaks of the importance of a church leader's commitment. Commitment. What does that look like? Um, While my kids were still in school, I had the opportunity to coach nearly every one of them in basketball, including Rachel. And as you might have guessed, Rachel was a good ball player. I could tell you some stories. (laughs) Well, when I started coaching, I had the middle school boys, okay? And I had two sons on the team, and, and I had been watching the team for a year, and then I was assistant coach for a year, and then the school asked me to step into the role as a head coach. And I saw some things I definitely wanted to change And uh, one of them was very, 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 very important but significant because our our kids weren't weren't hustling up and down the court. So over and over again, I would stress to these kids in in, uh, every game we played, every timeout we had, the importance of effort and attitude. I I would tell them those are the two things you're going to be able to control no matter what it is you're going through on the court or in life, effort and attitude. That's true, you know, for all of us as well. It is. And, and whatever role of leadership that you have been entrusted with, your, your enthusiasm or lack of it is often going to become contagious. Okay, Effort and attitude, both important. But as a young coach... I quickly realized there is a third component that is just as important, and that is practice. It's preparation. That's why teams, when they don't have ball games, what are they doing? They're getting together to practice. Sometimes they're working on conditioning. Lots of times they're, they're working on the fundamentals, and then also they're doing some scouting, be prepared for that next game uh, they're about to play. My oldest son said, Dad, do you remember one of your first games we lost, I think, 46 to 6? <laughs> and I said, no, I don't remember that. I had conveniently blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> but we played against the team that every time our kid brought the ball across half court and tried to make a pass, someone on the other team was there to step in front of the ball. So I had my kids' attention. They knew we had to be ready and prepared for the next time We played that same team. And it's interesting, the best players often spend more time practicing than anyone else on the team. So I I guess I'm getting to the point, the Bible doesn't say you've arrived when you have been named to a position of leadership. The Bible doesn't say now it's okay to start coasting or just put it in, in cruise control or if you're going downhill, stick it in neutral and just let your car go as far as it's going to go. No. Starting at verse 15, Paul says, practice these things. 
Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Again, you dads here this morning, how would God have you apply these words to your role? Truth is, Jesus isn't looking for perfection, which is kind of encouraging. But he does say he wants you and me and everyone else in this room to be doing something, and that something is making progress. Progress that's evident not only to Jesus Christ as the head of the church, but to everyone else who's watching. Everyone. Including the family who you live with, and the church family who you worship with. On on the flip side of the outline is our life group guide. And in that guide, we have a question for you to work through with the others in your group about your personal, personal spiritual fitness plan. Basically, what it's asking is, what are you practicing? What are you doing to make progress in your walk with Jesus? And, And friends, if you don't yet have one, I say this is the time to make one. In fact, one of the benefits of the time change every fall is it gives most of us at least a few extra minutes at the start of the day to spend in the presence of Jesus. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so all may see your progress. And then finally, verse 16, Paul gives one final reminder or instruction. Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul's telling this young pastor how important it is to make sure you continue heading in the right direction. You do not want to be standing in this position proclaiming a false gospel and a false hope. So it's not just practice, as important as that is, it's also persistence making sure you keep the main thing the main thing. Um, I I did a little bit of checking this week. I thought this was the case. But in the EFCA, in our denomination, we really take this instruction to heart. If you are a missionary within the Evangelical Free Church or if you are on the faculty or staff of Trinity Evangelical Divinity Seminary, you are going to be asked once a year to look at the statement of faith, take a good look at that statement of faith, read through it, make sure you wholeheartedly not only understand it and believe it, but you want to practice it. Every year they ask those men and women who are involved in those positions of responsibility to reaffirm, here I stand. And why do they do that? Because, as one old-time pastor said it, churches don't drift. It's only their leaders. I'm going to have the worship team come forward, and and as they do, I'm just going to invite the rest of you to to bow with me. We're going to take a few moments to allow the Holy Spirit to continue teaching us, maybe to test us, stretch us, encourage us. Some of us need to be corrected. And, and Lord, we, we give you permission right now to do that. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. We're grateful, Lord, that we don't have to white-knuckle it and try harder. But we do need to spend time in your presence that you 
can live your life in us and through us. That we can think, Jesus, as you think. That we can love others as you love others. That we can stand strong against sin and temptation just as you did for us. And Father, if there's any here this morning that, that are concerned that their, their heart overflow isn't all that attractive, may this be an hour where they recommit themselves to you of, of drinking from that river, of having you continue this wonderful process of, of transforming us into your image. Lord, we're grateful for for leaders in our church family who have demonstrated competence, who are glad to be able to communicate your truth in life group, in Sunday school, at Awana, from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. And and Lord, help us, all of us, understand and realize that, that we too have a role of responsibility to know and understand your word. May we be like the Berean church that when they heard the, the word being spoken and taught would eagerly go home and compare what they heard with what they had learned already from your word. And Lord, for those of us this morning who are, are glad to be a part of a church but we're not quite certain where we fit in, Help us have the courage even now to ask you to show us how you want to use us and the gift that you have given to each and every one of us to further the work of your kingdom, to bless the others in our church family. And that we end well. (laughs) That we, we, Lord Jesus, persist. That we finish strong. Not that people think great things of us, but they know great things to be true about our Savior. Not right just now only, but for as long as you grant us life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.